You're listening to Insights for Living with Pastor Boju Oyemade. Pastor Boju is the senior pastor of the Covenant Nation. All right, uh, this morning we're continuing our subject or teaching on uh, the God kind of love, which is agape. And I want to zero in, like we had, on uh, every single person needs an intercessor. But we said there are four different Greek words that are expressed or we use one English word, word, um, love, to communicate. Uh, The first is eros, which is uh, basically sexual in nature uh, uh, between two opposite uh, opposite sex. The second is storge, which is the kind of love you find in a family among family members, or the kind of love we call patriotism to a nation. The third is filial, which is an attachment among friends, and these are all God-given emotional expressions and experiences that actually are institutionalized on the earth in terms of you having the family institution, in terms of you having the institution of marriage, in terms of you know, having friends when people are with, let's say, old classmates or old friends and they're chatting and they're at a party or something and one a person is reluctant to leave that group but they have to go and get something done. That pull on them is what is called filial, which is an attachment you have among friends. Now, the fourth one is agape. And agape is the God kind of love. Now, agape should undergird all these other three expressions of emotions. In other words, the three are expressions of emotions. Agape is the God kind of love. It is, we said, a policy of life. It is seeking the highest good of every single person you interact with, regardless of how they make you feel in your interaction with them. Now, without agape, all these other forms of love, which are emotional expressions, are not guaranteed, all right, that they will be sustained. They are subject to demonic attack. Satan can contaminate them, and he has done that historically. I mean, this morning when I woke up, I put on my phone, and I saw, all right, a woman driving out her husband in England, all right, to pack his load and get out of the house. And the man's complaint was that he was the one that brought her from Nigeria and sent her to university. And now she has now become bold and confident and see what is happening to him. They are driving him out of the house. Now that's a contamination there of these other three types of emotional expression. Uh, The love that exists within a family has been contaminated by Satan. Uh, The love that exists between two married or a married couple there has also been contaminated. 
Even the friendship that they have has been contaminated. And when you work in agape love, one thing you do is that when that contamination starts, you override it with agape, which means that is, it is a position and a posture you have taken. This is your policy in life, that I will seek the highest good of this person regardless, all right, of what happens. And when there is a fluctuation in the emotional state there, it will override that. Now, the one of the ways in which you practice this, we'll talk about it next week, is through your own deliberate and intentional confessions of God's love. In other words, when those feelings arise on the inside, when a friend does something there, or, you know, somebody does something, or a colleague at work, all right, you make bold declarations to your own self about this decision you have made to live the life of God's love. And so you begin to make bold confessions about what agape is and the fact that that love has been shared abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, and you direct those words to the individual or group concern so that you flush out that feeling from within yourself and cleanse yourself through the spoken word of God. The Bible speaks about through the rema or the spoken word of God, you cleanse yourself. And so you do that. So even situations can get to a place where, let's say a relationship between a husband and wife has broken down completely. And those things are recoverable, but they cannot be done again by any natural means. In other words, counseling will probably not work again. So it has broken down to the point where, and if you understand that never let a crisis go to waste, and you understand how spiritual things happen, all right, the fact that they are inside the house and they are no longer talking to themselves and living in separate rooms, all right, puts them in a good position to practice agape. Because if they were together, they might be worsening things by the way one rolls on the bed and touches the other one and the anger comes again. So to practice this, it has gone beyond, all right, cancelling. I heard Dr. Fred Price say this was in one of his magazines. He went on a cruise with couples, and he didn't know the condition which their marriages were. But during the course of it, every night he would ask them to hold hands and to make declarations to themselves. And he realized that at the end of it, all right, about 13 or 14, had already filed for divorce. That was just the last thing they were going to do. And what happened was they all, something broke on the inside of them. So I tell people that you can stay in your separate rooms as it is. But write out a confession about your spouse, okay? Don't talk to yourself. So don't make yourself talk to yourself. Don't try. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. When you're operating in spiritual things, you don't try. If you try, you worsen it. So don't, you don't greet yourselves in the morning, don't greet yourselves in the morning. You are that angry, be that angry, okay? But just put out the confession. Put the name of your wife or the name of your husband. And look at what the word of God says about the ideal wife. Look at what the word of God says about the ideal husband. 
Now stop calling that person's name. Just do that. Don't talk to the person. We didn't say you should talk to the person. When you wake up, you say, mm, mm, and go, all right? But inside the room, when you wake up, make this declaration. I declare, put her name there. She's this, she's that. Make yourself do it, all right? Make the declaration. So long as it's word-based, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will pierce into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It will enter into places within your heart at subconscious levels. It will change things and mm-hmm, will gradually become good morning, good morning. And then in six months' time, you will both ask yourself, what really was the problem between us? Ah, the devil shall. That's what you'll be saying. The devil shall. All right? But once things get um, um, level there, it's no longer human agency can no longer solve the problem. All right, what simply happens is you leave the matter the way the matter is and you focus on the word of God and you start, all right, declaring the word of God to yourself and the image that is formed on the inner side of you and both parties are forming that image and after some time, right, the Holy Spirit will be able to transform into that which they see. Now, Today I want to speak about an aspect, what we've talked about is the defensive aspect of agape. In other words, something happens, you override an emotion. But there is the aggressive aspect of agape, which is called compassion there. And when one surrenders his or her will to God and leaves, all right, the Bible tells us that your love will abound yet more and more in all knowledge and judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, be sincere, and without offense. And so agape is living an offense-free life. That is a heart that is void of offense towards a person. And in order to live this life of an offense-free life, okay, which is a life that is free of offense, in other words, you are sincere. It is not surface pleasantness, but, all right, inward bitterness or hatred. It is not putting up a show and acting as something while there's another conversation that is going on in the deepest parts of your heart. In order to live an offense-free life, you must, all right, be an intercessor. And I want to say this, that the reason why friendships break down, I can show it from scriptures, marriages break down, is that people involved in these kinds of interaction don't understand that the foundation, all right, of love is making intercession for people that you are connected to. In other words, you are not just interacting on an emotional level. You are actually making intercession one for another. And it is the void that is created, which is through a lack of intercessory prayer for either the spouse or the friend there. And people are just enjoying the emotion that allows and gives room for Satan, all right, to be able to come in and contaminate stuff. So intercession is the first expression of the love that Jesus has for us. We'll see this. That's why the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession, all right, for us. He now ever liveth. 
This is what Jesus, his preoccupation now, his activity and the work that he is doing right now is making intercession. And an intercessor is not just one who engages in prayer, all right, for other people. It's much deeper than that. It's not just one who prays or says, I'm a prayer warrior, all right, and joins a prayer band. That doesn't make them intercessors, all right? An intercessor has a character. An intercessor has a disposition towards other people. And that's why a lot of prayer warriors are judgmental. They have a sense of superiority, all right, and, you know, can be very critical about things. That's not intercession, right? Intercession begins with compassion. In other words, the intercessor is, first of all, moved with compassion for the condition that they see in the lives of other people, and they seek to do something about the shortcomings or the failings or the condition in the life of that person or people, and they enter into what is called the prayer of faith. And a prayer of faith is a persistent form of prayer that will not stop until the results begin to show. And so they enter into a place of prayer of faith, all right, for the people. An intercessor is not interested in dominating others or in power. But an intercessor is powerful, but they are not interested in power as in dominance over other people. This power that they operate in is power to change and to transform, all right, the lives of people. So if you see an intercessor in their disposition there, they will quickly concede things to other people. In other words, they don't struggle. It's not in the nature of an intercessor. This thing is a character, all right? They don't struggle. If, if, they say, if, if, if you say, um, so um, who is going to go out and, and do this? The intercessor will say, well, you, you can do it, all right? The person who is actually praying and interceding for the success of that thing is the one that will, character-wise, release the visible part of the work to other people. That's how the character of an intercessor is. We find, all right, this in Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and verse 34. Romans 8, about an intercessor, it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is it that condemneth? It's Christ that died, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession? So an intercessor, instead of judging someone, instead of condemning a person, right, takes up another position in the life of that person. So an intercessor does not judge, nor does that intercessor condemn. But they understand that what may even be visible, which are the flaws and the infirmities of the person that are visible in the behavior or conduct of that person, may have underlying, probably has underlying issues that are more powerful, so to speak, than the will of that person. And that person may be in a struggle with those things. Just as Paul said, he said, how to perform I know not. In other words, he said, I find another law at work in my members. Even though I desire certain things after the inward man. 
He said, I find another Lord walking my members, bringing me into captivity. And so there was a struggle. The issues that, you know, others are judging and condemning, probably the intercessor picks it and understands in compassion, has compassion upon that person, that this may just be a product of something in the life of this person that, you know, they have been battling with, all right, and it has overcome them, and so they are making that. And the truth about the matter is this. I firmly believe this, that if every single person has an intercessor, and the reason why some people just never able to break out of certain things, uh, the reason why some people, all right, don't struggle all their life and all of that is because there's no real intercessor within their lives. Now, they may have friends, they may have people, they may be married, but there's no real intercessor. So a husband who is interceding for the wife, all right, treats that person, the wife there, as an individual under God, all right, separate from himself, interceding to God that made the fullness of God's will come to pass in the life of this person. You're not relating with the person as to what I can get from you because I've married you. Do you get what I'm saying here? The wife who is interceding there is interceding and praying there for the husband, which means intercession. Uh, you know, and it's not, uh, uh, they're actually praying and seeking, all right, the highest good, all right, of that, of that particular person. Friends that are truly praying and interceding that the best comes out in the life of this individual. An intercessor has that kind of disposition. And we should have a church should be a community of saints, all right, where the love of God exists, where compassion is flowing among the members. And when we talk about compassion here, we are talking about, we'll see this, it's a, it is the forward-looking part of, God's, of the expression of the love of God. In other words, an intercessor is not someone that says, well, I enlisted in a group to pray. An intercessor is someone who sits down. Let me paint a picture in the congregation. Now, people like sitting, all right, in certain places. So, you know, people just like sitting when they come. Once they get into a place, they have their preferred seat and preferred area where they sit. Okay? And there is no rocket science to this. I, when I was in Abuja, when I was coming back on Friday morning, I saw a gentleman in the airport. He came to me. I said, oh, you're a church member. I said, you went in church yesterday. He looked at me. I'm shocked. Pastor, you noticed I wasn't in midweek service. And the reason why a pastor will know is that we know where people sit. Okay? So when you look in the direction, ah, this one is not, somebody's missing in this place now. And then you look again, okay, when he's not there, he's usually over here. And then you check again, ah, it's not there. And then you can say, I've not seen you in church. And the person replies and says, I wasn't sitting where I usually sit. That's how they will say it. Because they know, all right, that. So people like that. Now, but the issue here, I'm saying that to say this here. You may be seated somewhere and you're an intercessor and you notice that there's somebody who also sits in that particular area and comes in and they're happy, they sit down, they're jolly, everything, singing. But you notice their countenance has changed. Uh, you notice that the level of vibrancy in praise has gone down. You'll notice that they are staring into the ceiling when the message is going on and then they break. It's almost like you notice that. You can easily see and sense that something is wrong, all right, and there might be a weight in the heart of this person. So you make up your mind that I'm going to start making intercession 
for this person. This is not I'm going to walk up to the person and say, that is, you're a busybody in other men's matters. I say, what is wrong? Eh? Is there anything wrong that can help? That's not what they asked you to do first. What they're saying is that you start making intercession. When you wake up the next day, your prayer time, you remember this person in prayer, and you begin to travail, and you are praying for that particular individual. If, you know, the Christian community can be built in that way, that somebody comes in and sits down and perpetually you can see that, you know, this person always comes in and you can look at the condition in the life of that person. Something is deteriorating here. I remember in about 2008, there was a lady who ran some trouble somewhere, so she came to meet me and she was talking to me about it. So in the course of our conversation, I asked her, I said, so how did you join church? All right, because when I looked at her background, she said, all right, what's the connection? How did you ever get in covenant? She said, well, what happened was there was a chap that used to live in our area and used to take her to work every day. And that he used to play your messages in the car. That's how she and her sister got to start listening to my message and finally started coming to church. So I just asked after the person, I mean, I didn't know who the person was. I said, so this person, where is he now? And all of that, you still see him. And she said, well, I will look for him. I haven't seen him in a while in church. And then she turned around and said to me, but you know what? He used to stare in the ceiling for a very long time. He seemed troubled at some point, but I didn't want to talk to him about it. So I asked, so later on, Shana asked, I said, well, he's gone back to his hometown. We said things didn't work out. He ran some troubling financial issues and all of that. So an intercessor picks up those kind of things and begins to pray, all right, and begins to intercede for that person quietly there and begins to pray for that person, all right, and makes intercession and begins to observe. Now, the person can pray the, that person through. When you have an intercessor, eh, which means somebody who has committed that, I will see you through on this matter. As Paul said, my little children of whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed on the inside of you. It is that kind of commitment, all right, to other people. You can't do it for several people. Do you get what I'm saying here? All right? But it's a commitment that you make at every given time there that I will make. And that's what I'm saying. Compassion uh, comes out of you. Compassion is what causes God to move. When God moves, all right, it is compassion. It's like love in its liquid form. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 the Bible tells us about Jesus who was, it says he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In verse chapter 14 and verse 14, it says again, Jesus was moved, all right, went forth, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them and healed their sake. We also see in Matthew 18, verse 27, that Jesus again was moved. Oh, it says the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion. So where you have a move of God, compassion is the driving force. Jesus didn't teach because he wanted to show people what he knew. He was moved with compassion at what was going on in their lives and knew on the inside that there's some knowledge these people don't have. If they had this information, their lives will be changed. So he taught out of compassion. 
In other words, when the scripture tells us he wanted to feed the multitude, it wasn't to show that he was powerful. It was compassion when he saw the condition. That's why those folks didn't understand it. They came the next day again. After they had eaten breakfast, had eaten well at home, they came to meet him and said, listen, we want loaves again. He said, oh, but it's not, this thing is not about multiply. It's not power. It is what? Compassion. All right? You were in a certain condition at that point in time, and that condition, all right, had to change. And that's what it means he was moved there with compassion. And everything that Jesus did as a representative of the Father on the earth, the driving force. And so the driving force in everything we do, except what we're just doing is we're operating. I mean, if a minister stands up and, and is preaching not from a place of compassion, then literally you're a performing artist, all right? There's really no difference between you and somebody who just stands on a stage, all right, and wants to perform for people or is just looking for recognition. It is coming, must come from a place there of compassion. Passion, and that's the driving force. Compassion for one another is essential in a church and in a community of saints. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 7 to verse 9, tells us about uh, the nation of Israel. And he said, should, not, should you not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, that is, this is what happened when you were inhabited, people were in prosperity, and all of that. He says, execute true judgment. We said the weightier matters of Lord, judgment, mercy, that word is compassion, and faith, or, or faithfulness. Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassion, every man to his neighbor there. So a gathering of God's people should be a center of compassion. Compassion in the sense that people, all right, are compassionate to other people. People walk in there, you know, we can get into church, and we have this consumer which has to change drastically to save Christianity in this country, all right? We have to change from this consumer mindset where you know you're coming to church for what I can get just for myself. And let me say this here, you can be coming focusing to show when there's no compassion and somebody comes in every Sunday with a handicapped child and you've never prayed for that child. That means that you are not connected, all right, to what is happening to people around. What you're just thinking about is what can I get for my own self? All right, and leave this place. When there's compassion there, I'm saying an intercessor, no, you don't become an intercessor because you joined the team. It is, all right, compassion that is on the inside of you feeling, all right, for other people. This podcast is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. For more information, visit www.insightsforliving.org. Thank you and God bless.